All right, welcome back to Chew the Bible. It's your good friend, Aaron. Can't even say my name right. Hope everyone's having an amazing day. It is Sunday. I don't even know what today's date is. I think it's the 6th. Yeah, today's the 6th for now. Yeah. November 6th, 2022, 9.16 in the evening. Man, there's a lot that happened in Matthew chapter 14. A lot. I mean... Think about it. He just fed 5,000 people. He helped Peter walk on some water, healed some more people. Are we missing something? There's somebody else. Yeah, the people were touching the hem of his garments, getting healed. Yeah, it's a lot going on there. All right, now we're in Matthew chapter 15, reading out the New Living Translation. New Living Translation. I just had this thought too, as after kind of digesting digesting some of the things, some, what I just read, and it's like, okay, here Peter was. He saw all these miracles. He still, and Jesus is like, you don't trust me still that you can walk on water, you know that I'm the Messiah, I'm Jesus, I'm God, I'm God, fully God, fully man here in the flesh. You don't trust me by now. He was like, I always think about that. They saw him face to face, and here we are. He's invisible to us right now with our physical eyes, but he's made all Jesus has made all these ways to make himself visible to us in other ways, especially as we continue to seek his face and seek his direction and seek his will. He makes himself even more and more apparent and clear who he is, and and um. So I'm pretty sure if God had grace for his disciples then who saw him face to face, he has a double grace for us who don't necessarily see him with our physical eyes right now. But we see him in all these other ways, especially through his word. Um, that's the thing. That's the best way to be able to see Jesus um, clearest is spending time in his word and in prayer and in worship and around other Christians too. So, all right, Jesus teaches about inner purity. So, so do, 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 do. Hold on, stuff out of the way. Jesus teaches about inner purity. Inner purity. Reading on the New Living Translation, Matthew 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of the rigid. Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey your age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. I can make some jokes about this. <laughs> I will say I was a part of my former wife and I were part of a house church for a while with a bunch of folks that didn't look like us. We were the only people that looked like ourselves in this group. And let's just say, yeah, that stereotype of hand, not of cleanliness was made manifest. And uh, it's funny when we first were part of that house church, we used to, uh, they used to have potlucks where everybody would bring food. And um, eventually it turned into, we were like, we'll bring all the, we'll, they found out my former wife could cook really well and like and we volunteered to just cook all the food and let people bring like little stuff from the store and then one of our close friends our closest friends in that church at the time 
house church, they found out, they caught on to us, and they were like, y'all just think we nasty, don't you? <laughs> and we had this whole inside joke. We used to play spades and cards with our friends, and we would talk about this kind of stuff, and they, they caught on to the fact that we, uh, there's this whole stereotype that people that look like us view people that look like them not being very clean, especially when it comes to potlucks. That's all I'll say. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Let's keep going. All right. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Mm. For instance, yeah, they were about to, yeah, about to go to go into the whole uh, before you remove the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye, remove the plank out of your own eye, the big old two by four. All right. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of her of father or mother must be put to death. Whoa. But you if, imagine if that was the case today. How many kids would be lying on the streets just out? Because <laughs> we have, man, this gen, next generation. I thought our generation was bad. But this next generation, woo. If, they, if my kids said some of the things that they say to me, to my grandparents, oh, man, they would have been laid out. And I, I don't know, it's just, at the same time, I try to have a lot of grace for them. And I never want to come across as like this hard, hardened. I just realized we live in a different time now. And I try to instill respect and honor into my kids. But I never try to be like, I think in some ways, not to say that you should your kids should honor you and respect you no matter what but sometimes I'm forced to ask myself am I living a life in such a way that will make them want to honor me and respect me as their father it's, it's, it's an interesting so I, I do a lot of more, more prayer than talking and trying to also live a life that is worthy of honor and respect and not so much of this like you better respect me honor me yeah a lot of it is it's going to require a lot of prayer because there's a lot of kids from my parents generation that honored their and respected their parents to their face but as soon as they were out of their you know out of the home or you know parents are out of their and this you know not not anywhere around they were just completely they said all kind of stuff about their parents right and had all kind of evil thoughts about their parents in their hearts and it came out later so our nursing homes are full of elderly folks who kids don't even go see them it's sad anyway it's a whole nother discussion all right verse five but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents sorry i can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I, my bae, uh, <laughs> that was pretty deep. But I was, all those thoughts that just went through my head. And I got to get right back and get my mind right back to what we're reading. All right. Verse four. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. 
And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah, let me do a more emphasis, emphasis. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's basically what I was just trying to say earlier. There's a lot of kid baby boomers who honored and respected their parents, you know, say, yes, ma'am, no, sir, all that stuff. You know how a lot of times people, they try to talk about this next millennial generation and the generation Z, whatever, even the Gen Xers, and be like, man, these kids, they have no respect or honor for their parents. They just blah, 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 say all this stuff, you know, and it's like, but boom, this scripture right here, verse eight, you could say this about a lot of the, the baby boomers who the way they treated and currently treat their, what do they call the, the Great Depression babies? These people honor me. They honor their parents with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from far from me. It's the same thing with God. We can honor him with our lips and say all the right things, but he knows our hearts. He knows our true intentions and our true when we're just going through the motions, right? Anyway, verse nine, their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Verse 10, then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. It's a bar. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? <laughs> disciples are funny. Verse 13, Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. That's a, another common worldly phrase that people use, the blind leading the blind, and they don't realize where they, they may. And usually they don't realize where they got that from. Bam, the blind leading the blind. That phrase is right here from the Bible. Boom. Verse 15. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. I could just—I just wish I could. I'll pay good money to see um, the look on Jesus's face when um, when he would say stuff like this. So they would come with at him with their questions. The disciples. Jesus asked, "Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart." That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So it's easy as humans. We get so caught up. My dad used to always talk about the five senses. We can touch, taste, feel see here as as humans that we're so focused on that stuff right 
that we forget about our inner man, which is more important than our outer man. The faith of a Gentile woman. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre or Tyre. However you want to say that. I always like to say Tyre, even though I'll just listen to something. Somebody was reading this same verse and it said Tyre. That's right. Yeah, I was listening. Oh, I was watching uh, The Chosen with my kids. And uh, yeah, somebody said Tyre, I think. I think it was in The Chosen. And they said, but I was like, I like to say Tyre better. It's cool. The reason of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Interesting that she used the phrase, Lord. Son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. I think I think this is actually, if I remember correctly, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think this is Mary Magdalene. I think this is, I think this is the woman that the first episode of The Chosen is based off of. Yeah, that very first episode, I think, this is the woman that yeah was demon possessed, and then Jesus. Nicodemus tried to come heal her, but he had no power. And Jesus came along, healed her. No problem. Verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel I'm going to pause for a second before I keep reading I just I'm just thinking about that Just I've been thinking about this a lot lately just how I don't like being inconvenienced and I don't like inconveniencing other people like I hate like especially a lot of guys around my age they're, they're, a lot of black men who are, who are doing anything with their lives that are actually like out here, you know, trying to, you know, live a wholesome life, you know, following whatever, trying to be successful, just period, right? A lot of the guys are either married with kids or they're married to work, like some kind of hustle, a business, or trying to make money, whatever, working all the time. And so, I was just thinking about that recently, just like kind of taking an assessment of my friendships that I have. Even ran into a guy today that I had, I've known since I met him way back when I was like a sophomore in high school at this summer camp at uh, at Rollo, whatever. And he's a great guy. I just found out he had another child. I didn't know he had another child. Um, as a one year old now, right? And I was like, part of me is like, ah, oh, should, you know. Be like, hey, you want to, you know, we should get together and have some lunch sometime, you know, catch up and just pray for another talk. Or are you part of some kind of group or, I don't know. It's Sometimes I wrestle with this because when I'm friends with somebody, I prefer, like, it's almost like I want to go, like, super deep with them. You know, like, I hate surface level friendships. I kind of have like an all or nothing attitude when it comes to like my male friendships, right? 
there's that right and i hate ink i'm gonna get to a point here i'm gonna um, keep reading i promise i hate inconveniencing people and i can tell when somebody's being genuine like they genuinely want to spend time with me like i never want to force myself on anybody like like i hate fake i'm sorry i don't like fake friendships like i don't like fake if and i say that in the nicest way meaning like if you got other things you'd rather be doing and you're just meeting with me just because you feel like this obligation to be nice whatever like i don't want it like i just this is not it's just too awkward for me and so i don't know and like i actually relate more to ladies sometimes like have like the platonic friendships i have with most of the few lady friendships i have they're long distance and we're able to talk on a deeper level like got like women are they're more likely to sh- share their emotions like and things like going on better than guys are i don't know i feel like i can even be more vulnerable especially with my brother my brother is like the one person i go like the deepest with and just super vulnerable with they say the best way to know who your like close friends are is like when you get a good piece of news you find out something good or something happened or just some some something funny you run across like who's that first person you share it with my brother's that person and what's cool is like i don't feel like i'm even my own kids right now if i like i don't know it's just weird like i don't out of all the people in the world my brother's the one person i feel like i can like be completely i don't feel like i'm bothering him or inconveniencing him and i like to think that he doesn't feel like i'm he's inconveniencing me in any type of way and Jesus, that's the other, yeah, those are like the two people, right? That I can be most vulnerable with. And um, here, look at this. But Jesus gave her no, I, I told y'all I'll bring it back to the word. Verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Like, it's almost like sending somebody a text or calling them. I'll just spaz out for a second my Instagram and Facebook. It's like sending somebody a text or whatever and they don't respond. They're like, what was going on here? What's that say something wrong? Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. I just saw something recently, a post this guy talked about how some author of a book put his phone number at the end of the book and said, Hey, you can call me. And then some, he actually called the number and the guy, the author of the book actually answered his phone and basically told him like, when you become, get into ministry or whatever, like a lot of times what happens is you have this red carpet rolled out and you have the ropes and the rope. Yeah. On the other side of those ropes is all the people in the church or the people that need help or whatever. And the people on the red carpet are all the, you know, people in ministry. And he's like basically saying you got to fight with all your heart to not ever become that red carpet type Christian. And that was very convicting hearing that. Like in this scenario, it's kind of like a VIP scenario. The disciples are like, this is how I read it. This is my personal interpretation. They're like, hey, we're busy. We're the super Christians now. We're cool. We with Jesus. We VIP. We don't have time for this lady. She's bothering us. She's slowing us down. And 
I think this right here, you could preach a whole sermon about this little section right here because this is so detrimental into the church. Like, and this is why it helps to kind of, I feel like be single as long as you can, because when you're, and I have kids. Yeah. Cause when you're single and don't have kids, you can make more time for people. Like even today I waited after church to meet with this other friend, my buddy, that was the best man in my, in my wedding. And, um, wanted to just, you know, say hi to him, give him a hug. And I had to wait about another 10, 15 minutes after church to do that. Cause they had like kind of like an after party <laughs> after service after church, they, were, they kept praying and worshiping. And my kids were like, my one daughter was like trying to go to the door. She, I'm like, young lady, last time I checked, you didn't drive yet. <laughs> she Like she thought by walking away that I was going to just follow her. Like these kids are funny. Like somehow you going like manipulate me into leaving all of a sudden when I told you already like hey I have a friend I'm going to meet with after this is done just give me a little bit more time slow down stop being in a rush sometimes it feels like I'm married to my oldest daughter like I'm like <laughs> even though I'm divorced now it's some, I love in so many ways there's some similarities similarities between my but I still have to like to my oldest daughter and my former wife and almost it's almost like I'm having to relearn to just have grace and love her unconditionally and not see you know not because it happens both ways a lot of times the, the mom will look at the son and be like you look just like your daddy even my oldest son he definitely looks a lot like me and I'm sure she goes through moments like that where you gotta be like no you are not your mom you're not your mom even though you you acting like your mom in some type of ways, you're not her. I'm gonna love you unconditionally, and I'm also I'm your dad. And I'm gonna teach you some things about patience. And anyway, where's I going with that? Yes, if I didn't have kids, or if I wasn't, you know, if you're married, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You can have patience for people. You can stay late after church. And not be in a rush to go, you know, feed these hungry, hangry, hangry kids and, and spouse, right? Slow down, be patient. And not have this attitude of either go away or I got to rush out of here because I got other stuff. I got more important stuff that needs to be done. I'm ta- I'm like... For me, one of my biggest things, I know I'm kind of staying on this for a minute, but I feel like this, I don't know, this will help me down in the future or somebody. I, there's times, I don't know if y'all have heard of the term, like some of y'all have heard of this term, I'm talking to y'all like y'all are sitting right here. Some of y'all have heard of this term of social battery, right? Um, it's like a new terminology, more and more people are talking about, like some of us seem to have like either people fill you up or they drain you and everyone's on a different you know varying levels of the spectrum i do get filled up by being around people but after a while it's almost like once i reach a certain level i'm like whoa it reaches a point where this is a little too much social interaction I'm ready to tune everybody out 
be alone, be a recluse. Just everybody go away. I need some time to myself. And I actually do way better with one-on-one relationships with people that I know and trust than a bunch like big crowds or even groups or um especially people that I don't know that have, like I'm meeting for the first time I like it kind of it kind of stre- I'm just being very vulnerable right it kind of stresses me out because I shouldn't say that it doesn't stress me out I'm challenged because as soon as I meet somebody a lot of times I'm tempted to learn their whole st- like I, I'm an empath so I sense a lot of all their I sense a lot of their emotions what they're dealing with and there's this hero chip in me that wants to like help them. But then at times I'm like, I don't have the time or the energy or the, like, I don't want to like actually invest in this person right now. Right. Cause I, I hate to do, yeah. A lot of times I want to do the all, all or nothing type attitude. And I'm like, sometimes I'm able to see ahead of time, like this relationship is going to, it's weird. Like I'm already able to see if this person is going to be toxic in my life, especially when it comes to women that I met recently who have different kind of situations. I had that happen recently with a young lady that I picked up doing Uber and she needed help. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I I can only do so much. <laughs> I can only do so much. And I, and I know if I keep this friendship, relationship, whatever going, this acquaintanceship, this is going to be toxic for me and drag me down. I hope what I'm saying is making sense. Somebody will hopefully get something out of all this. But all right, here we go. Verse 23. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. If you didn't get anything out of what I said is it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be patient with people and to actually want to take the time to get to know their stories and listen to them. And say, I, you know, as long as it takes, I'm here for you. But also, this is also the thing I've learned is like having boundaries and not being afraid to speak up and saying, you know what? I would like to do more or listen to more or be here for you. But ultimately, Jesus, Jesus can, Jesus can do more for you, right? And then also having like this kind of like network of, I want to say programs, but other friends and resources. It's kind of like, all right, there we go. Perfect example. When I was at the bank, I, I promise I'll keep going. When I was at the bank, there'd be a lot of people that would come to us. When I was a small business banker, a lot of people come to the bank and they would need a loan or whatever. They have these different requests, especially like loans. And I'll look at their credit. I automatically hear their situation, their story, or you pull their credit and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, it's not, you couldn't technically by law, we weren't allowed to just say, we can't help you or whatever, immediately deny. You had to at least go through the process of actually all the way through the process of treating them like a, um, a full client, like taking their last two years of tax returns, getting their personal financial statement, um. Yeah, personal and business tax returns. You had to, you had to walk through the whole process. You couldn't just be like, oh, 
based on what you told me, I can tell you got bad credit and we can't do anything for you. You weren't supposed to do that. You're supposed to walk them through, right? Even though I would know as, as um, prudent of a lender as our bank was and are, you know, and conservative in their underwriting practices and that we weren't going to be able to help them when it came to what their need was, their loan, I, would, I learned to have a network of resources. I had a whole page printed out of all these different resources that could help them. Because um, a lot of times they had other issues outside of just their credit, things within their business that needed to be fixed before they could, because once they get that money, it wasn't going to really help them. It would actually drive them further into more trouble. Even if we were able to give them the money, they had other issues going on. So I would point them to 4747 Truist and the resources they have there related to the Small Business Development Center and different programs and SCORE and um, what was it called? Up, something, Scale Up. They had different programs like that to help business owners. And the resource rail, KC Source Link. I had all this stuff printed out, SBA.gov. I had this stuff printed out on a sheet and a couple phone numbers for them to reach out to of people that could actually help them. And so in the same way, similar, I've learned in this situation, if you notice here, the disciples are ready to turn her away, but Jesus is ready to help them. I think the same, like sometimes, there we go. That's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes some of y'all, have, especially in ministry, have examples of times where you pray with somebody for like all night, all day for hours, talking to them about their situation and the crying tears. And then you like, and that meeting could have been cut in half if you would have just, yeah, if y'all would just went immediately to prayer and just like pointed them to Jesus and some resources that could help them. Cause we're not Jesus. We're not Superman. Like God made us. I think God made us that way to humble us so that we wouldn't try to act like Jesus, like David Koresh, like acting like we did. <laughs> yeah. I hope what I'm saying is something's going to help somebody. Cause it's like, I don't know why I'm stuck on this, but like I wrestle with this a lot. Cause sometimes I want to be like Jesus to people. And sometimes I feel like a jerk. Like when I, I'll be real with y'all. I've actually blocked some folks sometimes when I've, clearly told them up front I gave them my number and I told them like hey this is what these are the boundaries this is what I this is what I can do uh, I'm only available during these times and they still blow up my phone or whatever they yeah and I'm like did you not listen to I want to have grace but did you not listen to what I said like I don't know or kind of distance myself I'm not wrestle with this like distance myself because I already know where this relationship is going and where it could go where it could be toxic and this part, people will try to control you, manipulate you, even in the church. And so, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away, tell her to go away. They said, she is bothering us with all her begging. What I'm trying to say is sometimes we can have an attitude like these disciples, right? Just want to just push people away. Or act like the celebrity Christian that doesn't have time for folks. I think there's a balance there to where, yeah, ultimately you turn them to Jesus. 
All right, anyway, verse 24. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. This scripture has been quoted a lot. Verse 28, dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her, her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus heals many people. Verse 29, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, and crippled. Those who couldn't speak and many others. They laid them before Jesus and he healed them all. He made time for all these folks. He wasn't like, hey, I got to go watch the Chiefs game. He wasn't like, oh, I got, you know, an important meeting or whatever. I, you know, I got to go eat dinner. I got to go watch them play video games. I got to, you know, go pick up my kids. He made time for all these folks. Oh, my wife said I got to come home. <laughs> you know, he made time for all these folks and healed them all. And that's why I encourage all you young folks out there to try to remain single as long as you can. It's a gift because the moment you get married and start having children, you don't have as much time to do this stuff, to have made time for folks and to be the hands and feet of Jesus for folks and be patient. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able, and you got, yeah, you should have more energy because when you marry and have kids and have a job, like you were tired all the time. Now, I didn't understand then why people were always drinking coffee and Red Bull and all the other stuff people would take but I understand now the crowd was amazed those who hadn't been able to speak were talking the crippled were made well the lame were walking and the blind could see again and they praised the God of Israel Jesus feeds 4,000 so I remember recently yeah, this year I read this and for the first time I had this epiphany when I was reading through the entire Bible I was like hold on a second I thought these were the same stories it's like just before the chapter before he fed 5,000 and now he's feeding 4,000 y'all go read some the commentaries on the 5,000 and the 4,000 it's some cool stuff and the and what the numbers mean or whatever what people speculate that they mean cool stuff anyways keep going then Jesus called his disciples and told them I feel sorry for these people they have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. Food is very important in the Bible, if you notice. It's very significant. Verse 33, this, the disciples and Jesus seemed to like recognize the importance of food, you know, to like, are y'all hungry? Like, I don't know. I just think about the little things that we kind of might overlook when we read the Bible. The disciples replied, where will we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? I'm sure Jesus is like, didn't y'all just see me feed 
5,000 before y'all did y'all forget y'all must have forgot like Roy Jones Jones Jr. said y'all must have forgot just that quick man my knee is cramping up hold on a second stretch it out all right there's 34 Jesus says how much bread do you have (laughs) how many biscuits y'all got you got any leftover over biscuits they replied seven loaves and a few small fish this time before it said two fish and five loaves this time it says seven loaves you know number seven represents completeness you know uh, the perfect number of God completeness and a few small fish verse 35 so you know usually full few means two to three yeah three or three to four a couple is two a few is like three to four but yeah three to five so jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground then he took the seven loaves and the fish the seven biscuits we'll call the biscuits here popeye's biscuits now who has good biscuits the big biscuit grains those grand biscuits the flaky layer ones the syrup i don't eat that stuff anymore but yeah, I imagine they were the, the Grand's Flaky Layer Biscuits I used to eat for breakfast. A little syrup or some blackberry jelly, blackberry jam. All right, verse 36. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. Hmm. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. So last time, there was 12 baskets left over. This time, there were seven baskets left over. That's significant, but we're not going to go that deep. I encourage you, once again, to go read your own commentary about this. Tony Evans, in his study Bible, I'm sure has some really good commentary on this. Verse 38, or uh, some other commentaries that go deeper into the the Bible calculus as I call it of this alright there were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children then Jesus sent the people home and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan alright y'all I think I've talked enough and I'm about to chill for a little bit I might do not. I think I might do one more, one or two more recordings later, right before bed. But all right, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching in, watching in, watching in on YouTube. If you have not subscribed to Chew the Bible on YouTube or Ear Eye Media, please do so. Help a brother out. Trying to get to a thousand subscribers. Uh, and that's watching on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, and listening to the podcast, especially my regular podcast listeners who've been faithful day ones. Appreciate y'all. Every time I look on Anchor and I see the listens, I don't know who y'all are consistently listening, but I appreciate you. Once again, if you want to send me an email, I'm going to be reached at chewthebible at gmail.com. Please keep it positive. I don't do too well with negative messages. Uh, 
yeah, positive, positive. Even if it's a criticism or an observation, I'll take that too. Chewthebible at gmail.com. All right, I'll holler. I don't know which one to turn off first. Boom. Boom. Stop. Stop. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen.